Hey guys, welcome to the You Make the Scene podcast. My name is Josh, and this is episode number 50. This week on the episode, I had an amazing conversation with Mike Hennenberger. Um, I know there's probably a lot of people that don't recognize that name, but Mike is an Emmy award-winning writer. Um, He's worked with places like Comedy Central, Billboard, Spin, Vice, Rolling Stone. I mean, he's he's a well-versed writer in a variety of different manners as well. Uh, We talk about a lot of that in this episode as well. But Mike just dropped a, a book called Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, An Emo Kid's Journey Through Falling In and Out of Love in and with New York City. And basically with this book, which pretty much through the whole episode we just call Rock Bottom or Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, um, the, the cool thing with this book, and it's something that he and I talk a lot about, is that it's more than just a book. He uses music to describe these different points in his life and to correlate the... Um, kind of the the feelings and emotions that he was going through with the music. So um, it was a really cool read. I've, I've read it. I also had an audiobook version that was really cool. Um, and, you know, for me, the audiobook works better most of the time because I do spend a lot of time in my car and such. So that is just free time to, to listen to music or in this case a really cool book that honestly was super relatable and while I've not experienced all the things that Mike's experienced in the same way it's something that I think everybody can relate to in their own way there's going to be bits and pieces of this story that everybody's going to look at and be like shit I've been there you know I get this so um Basically, Mike and I had an amazing conversation, like I said. We spent about an hour talking, so you're in for a little bit longer of an episode. Uh, But the nice thing with that is the conversation that we had is really pretty in-depth and insightful. So you're going to get a lot of really cool stories, some cool information, things like that. And I highly, highly recommend that you get to the end of this episode. Um, there's some some cool things happening. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Mike, the author of Rock Bottom at the Renaissance. Um, yeah, so uh, definitely digging the, the book, man. Um, it, Thanks. Yeah, it... Uh, was super relatable. Um, as a hopeless romantic myself, there were a number of times that you were hitting on stuff, and I'm yeah. like, "Fuck, that's me, man. That's <laughs> like <laughs> I've been there." So no, yeah. I think it was. It's a really cool project, and I'm I'm really stoked to talk about it um, because I like the idea of kind of the mixtape style instead of just a straight up like memoir or you know story about your life. Like yeah adding in the music and kind of its own soundtrack to progress is a really cool concept. 
Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, it kind of just came together that way, actually. Um, so I'd been doing music journalism for a long time by the point I started this book and there had been a couple other things I'd written in my past that kind of had the same format where like a particular song would pop up in between paragraphs. Um, you know, like I would do it in like show reviews. Like if I was like there, one particular I remember as a, a review of Warp Tour and just the way that I was telling the story of being there, <clears throat> I would, um, you know, talk about watching one band and that was my part of reviewing Warp Tour. Um, and whatever band that was, was playing then, like I would interrupt the story with lyrics for some of them. And so it was, it was a thing that I'd done, like maybe in a couple, really like less than a handful of things I'd written before. Um, and so I guess it kind of just happened that way with this too. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's super cool. Cause I think a lot like you, I probably read too much into music a lot of times. Um, so like I hear lyrics and I'm like, Okay, yeah. that fits into this piece of my life. That's exactly what this is, you know, and it probably isn't that at all. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, you know, I used to, um, it used to bother me when I would interview bands and ask about what a song meant. And they would say like, oh, I just, I'd like to leave that open to, you know, the listener's right. interpretation. I used to hate that because like, I think part of it was because back then, I wanted to be validated in how I interpreted right. their music, you know? <laughs> right. Um, but I guess like if they don't tell me, then it's my choice whether it's valid or not. Right. So I guess that's cool. Um, so yeah, I mean like who's to say we are reading too much into it, you know, yeah. if it is there for our interpretation. Um, and yeah, I guess that's the beauty of it is that like, you know, I talked to like AJ from the dangerous summer about this too. And he, he talked about how like people come up to him and talk to him about his, you know, old songs and stuff. And he'll be like, Oh shit. I didn't even, I didn't even put that together about the song I wrote, you right. know? So like, you know, I don't think there is a, any more, of course, then, you know, I, I said, I, I, read too much into music or made it mean more than it does. Yeah. But I guess if it means that to us, it, you know, that's what it means. Yeah. And you know, I've done the same thing. I've done music journalism for shit, uh, 16, 17 years now. Um, yeah. so, you know, I've been in that same boat where you talk to a band and you're like really excited. You kind of want it to be like <laughs> almost that yeah. breaking news. Like I'm, I'm going to get them, you know, they're going to confess what this song's yeah. about, whatever. And then same thing, like, well, you know, it, it's kind of about this, but we really want to leave it open. And I'm like, well, shit, like, how, you know, what, what can we do? And then the same thing, like, I think just as we've gotten older, um, you know, I'm 35 years old now looking back, I'm like, you know what? I I'm glad some of those bands didn't tell me what that song meant because it may have ruined how I felt about that song. Yeah. Cause then it can't mean that to you anymore. I mean, I guess it, it still could, right. but then you're always going to have that little extra thing telling you what it's supposed to mean. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's dive into to your book a little bit, man. Um, it was, like I said at the beginning yeah. here, a super cool concept. Um, talk a little bit about uh, what Rock Bottom at the Renaissance truly means to you and and kind of what inspired you. Because um, you, you say a number of times in the book, um, that you're not a writer. And I think part of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, is a little bit of like imposter syndrome, right? Like 
maybe what I'm doing isn't good enough, or maybe I'm not really who I want to be. Yeah, you know, um, that's, it's funny because like I, I did a podcast last week and that was the only other person. And I mean, it's not out or no, actually it was an interview that's going to come out later. Um, but, uh, that's the only other person that, that saw it that way also. <laughs> and, and that's, that, that's what we're talking about. You know, like things can get interpreted one way. Um, and, and now I feel bad for like clarifying, but I guess that's what I'm supposed to be doing on, right. on these interviews. Um, but, uh, but no, like, I also talk a lot in the, I also say a lot in the book about how confident I am in my mm-hmm. writing. And, and so I, I think, I don't know, like, because like, I don't want to, I've, I've learned a lot about this book from talking to people in interviews about right. it, Like people have pointed things out to me that make perfect sense to me that I didn't intend for that to, to be that way. Right. But they've showed me that it is that way. Like if I, if I examine how I think, then that's definitely what I, what I subconsciously meant to do. Um, and so like, I don't know, I definitely was struggling a bit with imposter syndrome when I started writing this only because like, I've always felt confident in my abilities as far as like working in media, um, and my writing abilities, but I think once I got out of like DIY and, you know, out of South Texas and out of writing for the magazine, my brother and I started so we could have a place to write and started working at places like Comedy Central and Rolling Stone and, you know, Billboard and stuff like that. It's I've always felt like I belonged there, but I didn't think anybody else believed it. You know, yeah. I, I always feel like I have to prove myself. So I don't know what that is or if there's a name for that yet, but it's like, I don't feel like I'm an imposter, but I feel like everybody else thinks I, you know, I feel like I need to prove myself. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. I like, I've, I've always had confidence in myself in this, in this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I don't know what that is, but it's, it's maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome, but yeah. yeah, Insecurity. I, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if they're, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't know if there's a term for it. It's almost like the reverse. Like, I know I'm supposed to be here. I know I'm good enough. I'm validated. Yeah. yeah. But why don't they see it? You know, like, what do I have to do to, to exactly. show that? Yeah. 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 Um, so before we dive into kind of the story that you wrote, talk a little bit about kind of your background. Like you said, you've been at, at Comedy Central, yeah. Billboard, all that sort of stuff. Um, for people that you know, maybe don't recognize the name, give kind of as much as we all hate to do it, give kind of that resume, you know, Wikipedia, who am I? Sure. Yeah. You know, I've actually, I mean, for the thought has slipped into my mind of whether or not I should make a Wikipedia page. Um, (laughs) I don't think I have one. If there is one, I didn't make it. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I have been, music has been my life. I started playing in bands when I was 14. Um, I booked that band, managed that band and booked tours for us just so we could get out of our little hometown. Um, I never really learned to play an instrument well, so I was just a lead singer. And so once my bands would break up, I didn't really have anything to do. Um, so, um, my brother and I started this magazine and my brother always did like zines in high school and stuff. And, um, this magazine started out as a zine in college. And part of that was so we could, um, expose our little hometown 
that was hours away from any music scene to indie punk, indie, um, like indie rock, you know, emo and stuff like that. Um, cause that's what we were, we were really into like punk and ska and, yeah. and indie film. This was back when like indie film was the huge, so huge. It was like garden state and Napoleon dynamite. And, um, just like, so like, I don't know, everybody was paying attention to indie film back then too, but we would have to drive four hours to Austin to experience any of it. So I started writing about music and pop culture stuff in like 2002 when I was in college and, um, that just kind of stuck with me ever since it was, it was something I enjoyed doing. It was something I, I was good at because I'm passionate about it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, for a very long time, I, I wasn't, I was kind of lost through my twenties, so I didn't really know what I was doing. And then I, I joined the army when I was 25 and that was a pretty bad experience for me. And it taught me to stop doing spontaneous things and kind of get my shit together. Right. And so when I got out of the army, I went back to college, finished college. During college, got an internship at Comedy Central in New York City, Comedy Central Digital, um, where I helped on the digital media team for The Daily Show and Colbert Report. And um, I had one more semester of college. And as soon as I graduated, like... I had a job there. They hired, they interviewed me before I graduated. And as soon as I graduated, I moved to New York and started working at comedy central, working in digital media, doing like social media. I like ran the social media pages for workaholics and, um, did some stuff for Tosh.0. Um, I was there for a few years after that kind of did some freelance video stuff, ended up at vice for a little bit, did some stuff at Rolling Stone for a little bit, then ended up at billboard magazine um, did some stuff there and for spin magazine who was owned by billboard. So yeah, I've just always been around music and music journalism and it's, it's what I'm always going to be doing. I, I never thought I would write a book it, that book just kind of came out of me. I've written like screenplays in the past that haven't been produced or anything, but like, I've always, uh, yeah, I guess like in the book where I say like, I'm not, I call myself a writer, but I'm not a writer because at that point in my life, I really, I, I had stopped writing because I, I got into like the digital media world right. and I stopped and I moved to New York. So I didn't have my magazine anymore. My brother still runs it to this day. Um, but I wasn't writing for that anymore. And I kind of started getting into this digital media career and video career. And so I had stopped writing. Whereas like, years before that, it was all I wanted to do. I wanted to write screenplays and, um, I had, and had written quite a few. Um, and it was like, there was a period of my life where I was super productive in writing because I was writing for that magazine. I was the entertainment editor of my college's weekly newspaper. So I was writing two or three things a week for that, you know? Um, and so there was a period in my life where I was super productive in writing and, and this period I just wasn't. And I, I think it has a lot to do with like the mental state that I was in. That's very apparent in the book. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I get down on myself about it there. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad I got this book out because it's kind of brought it back to me and like made me remember how much I love writing and how, how good I am at it Right. in the sense that I say in the book, like I'm good at it. And by that, I mean, I like what I write and that's all that matters to yeah. me. So, um, I mean, I've gotten a lot of good feedback on the book, but 
I have to not let that mean anything or else the bad feedback means something also. And so if I don't want to, if I don't want to consider the bad feedback, then I I can't really put a lot of value on the good feedback either. I just have to be happy with my, with myself, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I've just pretty much been stuck in the media world for the last 20 years and 15 years and in the music world for the last 20 years. Um, but yeah, man, that's, it's what I love to do. And, and, you know, I just keep finding ways to do it and keep me going. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, something that is really cool to me is the amount of experience you have in all those different realms. Like, the experience at Comedy Central is not the same experience that you have at Billboard or, you know, even Billboard to spin. You know, you're you're talking a, a different type of creative at that point. Um, how do you feel like that helped you kind of grow yeah, sure. and, and manifest your your abilities? Um, I mean, I learned a ton from Comedy Central, like and that's something I also try to pass on to people because, like, I never wanted to work in digital media. Um, I had applied for an internship at the daily show because I always wanted to do comedy writing, um, which I had also done in the past, but they were all full already. Like they had all their interns, but they said they had an intern on the digital media side of the daily show. And so I went and did that. And still, even after that internship, I was like, that's cool. I don't want to do digital media. It, you know, that, that was fun. And I'm glad I got to do that. Um, but then they had these jobs available in the digital media side and I got hired and I'm glad I did. It's like the best thing that's happened to me in my career because I learned, you know, about digital marketing, social media marketing, um, content creation. But I also learned about like how, and the reason I I love digital media now is because I learned that it's everything, you know, like the interns at the daily show we're basically just unpaid on whatever's below a production assistant, you know, like there was, I went to the daily show set uh, studio one day and there was a, a like paper taped to the refrigerator that said like attention interns, this is the new soda distribution chart. <laughs> and it's like, they were just distributing sodas and getting mail and running props and stuff, which like, I'm sure you know, just having that on your resume is great and will get you great jobs. But I got to like write for the Comedy Central blog and I got to, um, you know, post what was being said on the Daily Show's Facebook and Twitter, you know? Um, And so when I started working in that, I just, you know, I got to be a photographer at the New York Comedy Festival. I got to be a PA on video shoots. Like digital media is everything. Yeah. And so I learned so much from working at Comedy Central for two and a half years. Um, and it's helped me approach even this book, you know, like it's not enough to just have a paperback book out in the world. You have to know how to promote it online. Yeah. And you have to know how to make good content that's going to ca- catch people's attention to drive traffic to it. That's the only way this book sells is if I'm like actively promoting it and I wouldn't know how to do that without that, that those years at comedy central, which also taught me to keep learning, you know, like I have to, I mean, I constantly listen to digital marketing podcasts still and, um, video production podcasts because it just changes every day. You know, you have to keep learning. And then when I got to places like 
Rolling Stone and Vice and Billboard, they were all so far behind. And so I wish I could say I learned from those places, but the only thing I learned from those places was that a lot of these places that you think might be dream jobs are going to be, they could surprisingly be disappointing to you. And then a job like digital media, which I couldn't have even dreamt of because it didn't exist when I was a kid. Like I had no desire to do it ended up being like the best learning, you know, experience of my career so far. And so like, I would end up at these other places and have all these ideas and be constantly told I was too ambitious. Right. Because I would say like, well, if we, yeah, we could do this video, but then we also could do this like social media part of it. And we could do this thing over here. And it's just like, it was so like discouraging to kind of hit roadblocks all the time. Yeah. Um, because a lot of those places are still run by old people who don't, you know, have vision and who have just been there long enough and can't lose that job because they're, they'd be like obsolete and couldn't get a real job, you know, somewhere else because they were not up to date on what works now. So yeah, man, I, I, I wish I could like have a bunch of great stories from the things I've learned in those places, but it was a lot of lessons that I learned, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, it, life is yeah, one of those things. Totally. You, you kind of have to, even if it's a bad situation and, and you know, you feel shitty about it, like, there's something to learn from it. Um, and I think, you know, the part that I hear coming from you is, while, like you said, while some of those places seem like dream jobs, once you get in the door there, like, don't get me wrong, growing up, for me, Rolling Stone was one of those places. Like, I, I want to yeah. write for Rolling Stone. And then as I got, you know, through my music journalism and stuff, I was, like, hearing stories and and whatnot about just kind of how they, they treated some of their staff and, like, the handcuffs, you know? Yeah. Like, here's the five topics you're allowed to write about. And I'm like, I don't I don't want to write about yeah. any of that. I want to write about the stuff that I enjoy, the, the type of music that I like, things like that. And let's be honest, as much yeah. as Rolling Stone is a, you know, massive um, contributor in the journalism world, pop punk, emo, doesn't really grace their cover very often, you know? So what's the what yeah. point in getting in there? No, and it's the same at, like, I was at Billboard for a year um, as a staff video producer, and it's the same, I mean, that's probably worse than all of them because it's 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 really like an industry magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, they got busted because like the, the president was like, um, covering up one of his buddies at a record label who had like some sexual harassment charges or like accusations against them. And while like all the other music publications were covering it, he told, I mean, this is like a story that's been reported plenty of times. So I'm not like letting secrets (laughs) out here. Um, he, he told reporters at billboard, like, Oh, we're not running that story. And they had like more leads and more information than anybody else, but couldn't write it because it's just like a big industry circle jerk, you know? Um, and, and unfortunately, like, I don't know, that's just how, unfortunately I say as like a music lover who, who wants to believe in those institutions (laughs) that the way we grew up believing in them, Um, it's unfortunate that when you, when the, the curtains pulled back, um, but that just like a lesson 
that I already knew, but it just kind of reinforced is that like, I, I became a music journalist by starting my own magazine with my brother, you know, like I don't need, of course, I'd still love to go back to Rolling Stone and say, I work at Rolling Stone. Fuck. Yeah. I'd love that. Um, but I don't need that, you know, like I put this book out on my own. I, you know, make videos on my own. Um, and I mean, it's a pain in the ass. It's a lot of work. It's so much work. And I wish I didn't have to do it all by myself, but then also it's like when I've, when I've been at other places, it's almost not worth it, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the big thing now, and maybe you can speak to this coming from the digital media side of things is there's, there's never been more access to people than there is now. Like when we were growing up, Social media didn't exist. You know, we had AOL Instant Messenger, uh, (laughs) live journals, stuff like that. But, like, it wasn't anywhere where it's at now. And now, like, I'm not saying that it it doesn't take a shitload of work to promote a book, because it does. But at your fingertips is the whole world to figure out where to to promote. Exactly, man. And that's the thing. And and that's, like, kind of the beauty of it. And it, it... it takes what I've had my whole life, you know, like I, I booked my band's first tour when I was 17 years old because I wanted to go on tour. We didn't have the internet really. This is like 2000, like, um, and I don't know how, how many people did have the internet, but I was, I was a poor kid. Like we didn't have, we got the internet later than most people period. Um, and like I, I was booking our tours off of like seeing, ads in magazines and mm-hmm. tour dates that other bands went to. That's how I learned how to route a tour. I didn't even know I was routing a tour, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's because I wanted it that bad when I was 17 years old. And then, you know, I was scared to death to like do that comedy central to apply to internships because I was afraid that they would let me know I wasn't good enough. And as long as I didn't apply, then I could always believe I was good enough, you right. know, but it just, it, it just takes that hustle and you wanting it bad enough to, to do it, you know? And like you said, everything is at our fingertips to find out how to do it. You just got to dedicate the time and it sucks. It's mostly boring. Right. And, and none of it's fun learning how to do it, but that's, I keep telling people that like, I keep seeing a lot of my, especially it's, it's more disappointing when I see my creative friends complaining about, what's going on right now, because almost all of us in the creative field or industry or world started doing this for free, you know? And I get that, you know, some of us are older and have bills now and rent to pay, but like, I don't know. I have a shitty day job. I have a, I have a day job where I, I make, I produce and direct local commercials in New York for like lawyers and, Um, you know, personal injury attorneys and doctors and dentists and shit. It's boring stuff that like nobody wants to pay any money to get produced. So they're all not good, but it's a, it's a great steady job. I get it. I get a paycheck. I'm not happy doing it, but it gives me the opportunity to come work on my book. And I don't have to make a ton of money off of my book because I get a decent paycheck from my job. You know, there was a point, um, where, uh, I got, when I got laid off from billboard, 
I got a job at a, um, or maybe this is before billboard, but I got a job at a, a, a bodega, like a, a big bodega a grocery store here in New yeah. York stocking shelves. I'd have to get up at five 30 in the morning, be there at six and just stock shelves all day. And you know, around Christmas time, they sold Christmas trees. I had to saw Christmas trees <laughs> and carry Christmas trees. And like, and I had an Emmy yeah. at this time, you know, <laughs> I had won an Emmy at Comedy Central and I was still working at a fucking bodega yeah. stocking groceries. So like, I see a lot of my friends complaining right now, but, but the, le- the field, the playing field's been more levels than ever before, you yeah. know, because the same as like the, the magazines that I worked at record labels and book publishers and all these people didn't know what to do when this pandemic happened and they still don't know what to do, you know? So like, this is our chance to catch up. Yeah. But I see a lot of people like waiting for somebody to help them catch up. You know, it's like, yeah, venues aren't open right now, but anybody can live stream right now. Anybody can live stream every day if they want, you know, once a week, you know, anybody can start a Patreon. But the problem is, is that it takes a lot of fucking work because you can't just start a Patreon. You have to learn how to promote it on social media. But once you do that, once you figure that shit out, like you don't ever have to wait for anybody ever again. Yeah. And so like, that's, that's kind of one of the, one of the cool things that's coming out of this is that, you know, my book had an opportunity to like stand out a little bit because publishers didn't know what to do and they're not putting books out like they were before. Right. Um, and billboard billboard laid off, you know, more than half their staff. And then they got acquired by the company that acquired Rolling Stone. Yeah. It's like the guy who owned, who's Jan Winner, who started Rolling Stone doesn't own a piece of Rolling Stone anymore. Yeah. It's like, that's what happens when, you get complacent and only know how to, how to work within the guidelines that exist. If you don't know how to work outside of that, then you're just going to get swallowed up by somebody else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I've talked to a lot of bands about, like, especially the smaller bands right now is like you said, the playing field has never been more level. If you're the one that's out there just grinding and putting shit out every day or every week, and you have those massive bands that are on major labels that don't do anything, well, who are they going to come see? The guy that's been putting out new music for him or the ones that sat back and did nothing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And even like, I mean, I this is just becoming more and more apparent to me because I, I keep like finding new podcasts and listening to new podcasts and stuff. And I'm seeing like Chris Conley from Saves the yeah. Day popping up on just like random podcasts and Matt Pryor from Get Up Kids and Adam Lazara and like all these guys they got nothing to do. They're just sitting at home, you know? So like, but they're like, of course, you know, they know they like, they've been doing this for a long time. They know they can't just disappear. They got to get out there. They got to stay out there, but Rolling Stone's not going to cover the get up kids unless there's a new album or taking back Sunday, unless there's a new album. So like now's the time for all the podcasts to get these people. They probably couldn't have gotten before, you know? And I mean, that's obviously not talking to you. I'm just, (laughs) it's just another example it's just another example of like what's going on right now that we all have the opportunity to take advantage of. Yeah. And I, I think one thing I've been telling artists, the same as what you said, you know, like everybody's at home 
what better time to do a live stream when you know yeah. things have lightened up in a lot of places. I know a lot of people are back to work and stuff, but like for the most part, you had three, four months there where everybody was in their house. And if you weren't putting stuff out, you missed the yeah. boat. You missed the boat bad. Yeah. No, I think that helped a lot with this book because it came out in June, but I was, I started promoting it in April and May, you know, I did an Indiegogo in April. Um, and you know, got to play off of that. Like, Hey, we're all at home right now. You probably need something to read, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, like I, I got to take advantage of those first couple months. And I think that, I mean, that definitely helped a lot. I've, and I've also like, like I said, like using like, you know, Matt Pryor and Chris Conley as examples, like those guys know they're, they've been doing this as a career. They know they have to keep out there. Like I've been able to get a hold of so many people like bands that I've, I've listened to forever just on Instagram, you yeah. know, like it, it, it's also this whole spirit of like, we're all in this together that I feel like some of those bigger folks have, are, have kind of, you know, feel that way that we're in this together and they're just, they're there for you. They're when I've reached out, they've been there, you know? Um, and so like, yeah, it's, it's crazy for anybody to think right now that they, they shouldn't be moving on this opportunity because there aren't, many good things about what's going on right now, but for creative people, there's, there's a little bit of a silver lining there. Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, kind of like what you said earlier, like the information's out there. If somebody wants to get it between YouTube and all these other sites, like yeah. you can learn anything on the internet yeah. right now. So go figure out like, okay, I want to start a Patreon. I can guarantee yeah. you there are videos on YouTube that will take, tell you every single thing you need to know about that. Yeah. No. And that's, I mean, that's how I've, how I've learned everything. And, and I mean, I'm not the best example of this. I'm lazy. I procrastinate everything. Um, and, and like, it's so easy to make excuses too, because like I want to adapt this book into a TV show. And so I can easily say like, oh, you should watch more TV shows right now. It's just to get a better idea of right. how to adapt this into a TV show. Uh, or you should watch more movies right now just so you can get a better idea of like cinematic style and which is all valid, but there are probably some more important things I should be doing to, you know, move the book along and the audio book and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, uh, completely honest and not blowing smoke up your ass at all. Um, as I, I listened to part of the book too, um, I got the, the audiobook stream for the promo and whatnot. And cool. um, like there are times today I was doing my day job, same boat as you, you know, having to work my shitty day job. And I'm doing my day job with that plan. And I'm just like this, like I can visualize the whole thing. And it's like, this could be a movie or a TV show. Like this has. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's got the legs, I think for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks. And did, did you listen, you listen to the Tyler Posey version? Yes. Yes. Okay. Cause I recorded it myself first, uh, just so I could have an example of what I wanted to, sh to show bands and labels. Right. Cause I, I, I have to license the music to use the music in the audiobook. Yeah. And I wanted to have a good example of it. So I did it all myself first. Um, but then Tyler did it, man. And Tyler's is so good. He, he's, he did exactly what I like. I mean, way better than I could imagine, but like 
he made it a character. He like, it was like a TV show, you know, like he did a great job with it. Yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, there were, there are times just the way he inflects on certain words or tries to push that emotion. It it definitely hit like, okay, this dude knows what he's doing. And I think it, it's obviously partly him, but I think a lot of it comes from your writing too. Just reading the book, like that emotion comes across. Thanks, man. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of why he got involved with it is because, um, I mean, he's, he's dealt with, um, with, uh, with mental health issues, depression and stuff like that. And I mean, he's, he's like spoken out about it too. And, um, he's, um, sober right now after, you know, struggling with booze and stuff. And so, um, he gets that too. Like he related to it also. And he's, he's also a big pop punk and emo fan also. Um, and so, uh, yeah, no, he like, he, he's a big fan of it too. Um, and so like he, he really related to it and under, and just understood it. And so that's the, like, I, and I kind of knew he would because right. of all those things. Like I knew he dealt with mental health stuff and I knew he, you know, was familiar with the music. So I kind of, I didn't have to worry about him getting it. Whereas if I went to some act, just random actor or somebody, I'd have to like, make sure they got it or explain right. to them what everything meant. But no, I, mean, I had no worries and no doubt that he would, he'd be able to nail it. And he did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, getting back into the the book side of things, I think one of the cool things, like we said at the beginning is kind of giving the book its own soundtrack. Um, obviously music playing a huge role in both of our lives. Some of these songs are like your, your standard, like duality with Bayside. Everybody's heard Duality by Bayside. But then you took some deep cuts, too. Was it an intentional thing to give some deep cuts, or was it just, this is me being honest and this is what I feel? Oh, man, those aren't deep cuts to me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's the the thing. I know. You're totally right about that. Um, And it's funny because, like, part of, and, and here's a tip for anybody doing DIY stuff out there, like, part of, um, the reason the book is like has sold is cause like I've, I'm a member of like Bayside fan groups on Facebook yeah. and wonder years fan groups on Facebook, uh, pop punk groups on Facebook, you know? And like, I didn't just go in there and start selling my book. Like I've been in there and I like Actively take part in the engaged, conversation yeah. and stuff, but yeah, no, you're, I'm, I'm, I'd be surprised if like most of the people in there, cause it's a lot of younger people than me. I'm 38 years old. I'll be 38 next month. But yeah, like that have heard tortures of the damned or poison in my veins. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, so it wasn't intentional to like include deep cuts. Only some of those songs are intentional period, you know, like, um, like in the first chapter, Jimmy world's 23 comes on. Cause that's the song that was playing in my headphones when that scene happened. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Bayside and the dangerous summer appear three times each in that book. And that's because Bayside and the dangerous summer are my go-to bands for when I'm feel when I, when I'm feeling down. Yeah. And back then, back then when I was feeling down, I was feeling dark, you know, right. because I mean, I've, I've come a long way, in regards to my mental health, um, just by kind of taking care of it in more healthy ways. Um, but back then, if I was feeling down, I was feeling dark. And, um, 
Old Bayside and Old Dangerous Summer, which back then weren't old. Right. Um, I mean, some of that Bayside stuff is it was still old then. Um, but uh, but the Dangerous Summer was pretty because I, I started writing this in like 2011, and so Reach for the Sun was like a year old at that right. point. Um, but yeah, those were like my go-to songs, and so that weekend in the hotel where the book takes place. Um, I would, I would be playing like, that's, that's what was playing while I was writing, you know? Um, and, but then there are some intentional ones, like, um, there's the two door cinema club chapter that takes place at a two door cinema club concert. Um, and all the stories in there about two door cinema club happened. So I just made it a two door cinema club song, you know, that applied to the chapter as well. Um, and then like the last chapter, um, is I just want to sell out my funeral by the wonder years. I wrote that chapter exactly as you read it. Like it's happening in that moment. And I was writing it as it was happening and there wasn't a song to go with it because I'm in a pretty like fucked up mental breakdown at the point, um, without spoiling anything. (laughs) Um, and so then like, I don't know, a couple years later, probably I heard, I just want to sell out my funeral. And it was like, just fit there, you know, like there wasn't a song that went with it, but, um, so yeah, so that one like got put in later. Uh, so yeah, those, those songs all came, came in different ways. You know, there's the Megan chapter. So it's, it's of course, Megan by smoking popes. Um, and, and not just kind of arbitrarily, like I mentioned in that story, how, um, you know, I, I wanted to learn how to play that song for her. Um, and you know, the role that song plays in that whole, that whole scene in that, in that chapter. Um, so yeah, so like some songs pop in there because they were actually playing while I was writing or playing while it was happening. And then some, you know, just fit, fit the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's funny. Um, the Smoking Popes is one of them that I was kind of thinking of on Deep Cuts because even as a yeah. pop punk emo scene kid, whatever you want to call me when I was growing up, the Smoking Popes were always kind of on that outside, right? Like Bayside got a lot more spotlight yeah. than Smoking yeah. Popes, even though arguably Smoking Popes are just as talented, if not more talented than Bayside, you know? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. But the Smoking Popes are like a 90s band. They're right. like late 90s, early or like, not early 90s, but like, like that like Megan song, like, I yeah. think, is probably like. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so like when I say like Bayside aren't deep cuts for me, like my brother and I booked Bayside in our little hometown um, of 25,000 people in like 2003. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I believe they were the only record they had, or at least like they didn't have a full length out that I know of. They were doing, there was like a, they had a split with name taken. Mm-hmm. And so that was like the record that I had after that. So like I've been following Bayside since 2003. And so like they are deep cuts, but not to me because I've been like, I've Bayside's, one of my favorite bands there's a Bayside poster behind me. Yep. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, I've definitely seen them more than any other band that I've seen live. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, but like smoking popes, like that's, I mean, I say it too in the book that it, I kind of, I kind of forgot about them too, but it's because they were kind of like a, a late nineties band and, yeah. you know, I didn't really start getting into <clears throat> like emo stuff until, um, probably around, well, no, been like, yeah, like saves the day through being cool, hot rod circuit, yeah. kind of late 99, maybe. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, 2004 roughly uh is the first bayside show that i went to um, oh yeah and it was them with uh Anne berlin and it was in this little oh wow sh- yeah just this little shithole it used to be a, a single screen movie theater that they had converted over into a, cool. like a dive bar scene and it was easily one of my favorite shows of all time <laughs> even now at the age of 35 yeah. i still remember <laughs> that show as like the just the energy and just the people, and I think that's the big thing with especially the pop punk and emo. I think it's so relatable, and the scene of kids that go to those shows are so much more welcoming um, than in a lot of other genres. They're not as protective yeah. or guardsmen, you know? Um, and I think that's one thing that comes through in the book, too, is the um, you talk a lot about like your friend groups and things like that, you know, your friend from college and your friend from Texas. And just, I think music has the ability to, to bind us all together. And that's something you portray pretty well. Thanks, man. Like I, that's another thing that I, I, um, kind of not worry about, but wonder about because I never draw the, I never connect the dots really like blatantly. I never say like, Oh, this song is here because it, I, I related to this situation because this lyric, you know, and it, the songs are really, really are just in there like a soundtrack, yeah. like playing in the background. They're, they're never like specifically, the lyrics are never specifically linked to what's going on. And if they are, it's, it's maybe once or twice, but so I, I like, I kind of worry about that, but I also don't care because I like it to be, I, like, I, I wish I could say that anything in this book was consciously decided. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess a couple of the songs, <clears throat> like when I say that I added a couple songs later, I didn't look for them. You know, it's right. like, I just want to sell at my funeral. I heard that. And I was like, this goes here and sorry about that from Alkaline Trio went with that story because it applied so much. Like I didn't go like looking for the songs, you know? Right. So there's not a lot of conscious decisions made in this book, um, which people will understand when they read it. I mean, I'm basically hopped up on pills and drunk on scotch through the whole thing. Um, but, uh, and dealing with severe depression and anxiety, which is enough to, you know, make you not in the right mind. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I didn't consciously decide to, to use these songs. And so I'm, I sometimes fear that like people won't grasp that part of it because I really do want that to come across that what I'm saying with the music is that like, it's even if it's in the background, it's what kept me alive, you know? Um, and it's, it's what like strings everything together, no matter how horrible this chapter is, no matter how that flashback, that next flashback is going to be worse and then this next chapter is going to be horrible. And then the next flashback is going to be worse. And like things are shitty through most of the book, but the music's still there, you yeah. know? And so like, I, I, I hope people come out with that same feeling that like, 
there is a good thing in it and it's the music yeah. and that's, you know, what kept me going. Yeah, for sure. And I, I actually, there's a meme that I've seen a few times, obviously more recently when memes became a, you know, big deal or whatever, but like a, a true conversation that I had with one of my aunts, like I've always liked music that nobody else in my family really got into. Um, yeah. And you know, they hear some of the stuff that I'd listen to and they're like, it's all so sad. Like, why is all your music about killing yourself and whatever? And I'm like, it's not though. Like all this music is why so many people are still alive because it's, it's stuff we can relate to. We don't feel alone when we're listening to this stuff. And I think that is what came across for me is, you know, Bayside in my top 10 bands of all time as well. And to know that somebody else relates to them like you do. And I do where throughout my life, they've, been kind of that steady rock that I can lean on when I'm having bad times yeah. and know that everything's okay. Yeah, man. And that's, and that's like, you know, what I, what I tell people about this book is, you know, I used to say there wasn't a lot of hope in it. Right. Um, in fact, it's like before that's something I learned from talking to people on, you know, interviews about it is that there is hope just like, you know, as dark as those early Bayside records and early dangerous summer records are, there's hope. And maybe I didn't put it together that back then of like why they made me feel like I should keep going. But now after talking about this enough, I realized that like, if, if like, if Anthony from Bayside and AJ from the dangerous summer, let those horrible feelings get like beat them, then we wouldn't have those songs that have kept me going. You know, so that's where the hope is, is like they turned it into songs and I turned it into this book and like anybody can turn it into whatever they want to. It doesn't have to be something as big as an album or a song or a book. It can just simply be like a relationship with somebody else, you know, a friendship, like who you are to another person. And that's going to give that person hope, you know, um, And so, yeah, I used to think that this book was not hopeful at all. And I used to warn people about that, but I mean, I'm still here. So I think that's, that's where the hope is. Yeah, for sure. And I, I hate the word trigger, but you know, there, there probably should be like a little trigger warning at the beginning of the book that, you know, there, there are some dark things that are talked about. There are struggles, but at the end of the book, you're still here. Everything ends up working out, you know, to a positive end. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, I mean, even in the dedication, you know, the dedication is to the girl and all the bands who kept me alive long enough to find her. Um, and so spoiler alert in the beginning, I'm still alive, but I mean, holding the book tells you that, but so like, I mean, yeah, I, I, I considered that, um, cause I actually did like an interview with Tyler Posey, um, a couple, like a month ago, uh, that I haven't put out yet. I'm going to put it out closer to when the audiobook comes out, but we're talking about the book and like why he wanted to be a part of it. And, and I, I considered that, that like, if, if sure, if you're easily triggered, then maybe don't buy it. But if you go into it, I'd like to think that if you go into it, knowing that I'm still here, I'm in a much better place now. Um, you know, I'm more mentally healthy than I ever have been. 
um, at least in my adult life that like, hopefully that will help people avoid being triggered by certain things, you know? Um, and will maybe like inspire them that they can get, they can get past some of their stuff. Um, I know that's all easier said than done, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of drug use and suicidal thoughts and suicidal, uh, you know, that's another thing that I'm learning the more I talk about this is that I always, I say even in the book that like, I, I, I wasn't suicidal because I never consciously decided I'm going to kill myself, but I abused pills enough and with alcohol and cocaine and whatever else I put in my body some nights, um, that I could have killed, easily killed myself. And I was aware of that. So I don't know, is that suicidal? It probably is, you know, it's probably some form of being suicidal is being reckless with your life, knowing you could die and not caring is probably some form of being suicidal. And so, um, even though I wasn't like deciding to kill myself, there were multiple times in my life where that was the case. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's some of that in there, but there's also this guy in there who keeps going despite the, (laughs) the, like all the shitty things that happen, which like, that's another thing I learned, you know, in the last like month or two, you know, once after the book was out is that, yeah, this guy in there still keeps going. So I guess that's hopeful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, I, I'm, I love like talking about it because I'm, I get new things out of every conversation. So, yeah. um, so yeah, like I can't tell you how to interpret this book cause I'm still learning ways to interpret the book. So, yeah. And I, I'm sure there's a, a real term for it, but like to me, and I've, I've been in that spot before as well. It's like a, almost like a passive suicidal uh, feeling. Like I'm not actively trying to do anything, but if something happened, I kind of don't care, you know? And that's where I've exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know that this is a bad thing. This could lead to something terrible, but at that moment, yeah, I don't give a shit. Like that's where I'm at. And, and some, and sometimes, and I mean, like I, I, I mentioned it in the book too, that like, sometimes you're, it's not even, it's beyond, you don't give a shit. You're okay with it happening. Right. You're okay. If you don't wake up the next day, like, but you're, you just don't want to admit it. Cause then you're being suicidal, yeah. you know, and you don't want to be that asshole or you don't want to be that selfish person who made that decision to take your own life. Cause it is a selfish thing. Um, it hurts everybody but yourself anybody else in your life that cares about you and loves you suicide hurts them and you get off scot-free it's selfish as shit so i think you know at least i only speak for myself but i think that was the biggest part of it is that like i'm gonna pop all this ambient i'm gonna drink a bunch of scotch um and if i don't wake up tomorrow that's fine but i didn't decide to yeah i did you know (laughs) like Um, I got, I just got lucky that I did wake up the next day, you know, in the, in the like three or I think there's like three times in the book where I describe times where I shouldn't have woken up the next day. Yeah. Every one of those times I should not have woken up the next day. It it would have made perfect sense if I had died with all the shit I put in my body. Um, and I'm here. 
somehow. Yeah. And that, that's obviously, we're not condoning that by any means. We're not saying that anybody should go oh, through no. that or whatever. But it, I think it, the point that we're trying to make is that, you know, through, like we've said, through all the darkness, here you are, you know, persevering, moved on, like you said, to, to probably the healthiest, at least mentally, you know, state that you've been in your adult life. Like, I, I've taken all that darkness and I found a way to get through it. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say this to anybody who thinks, you know, I condone it at all or am glorifying it at all. Um, I still very much, you know, believe in God. And I, I, I was the lead singer of a Christian ska band for five years and I um, had a big falling out with that band and also like had people at my church kind of, do that whole thing that makes you stop like believing in religion and mm-hmm. seeing like how shitty, you know, Christians can be. Yeah. Um, so I still believe in it myself, but I also still see all the flaws in it and like people, which were all flawed. Yeah. Um, but I'll say this, I was, I devoted my teenage fun years to being the lead singer in a Christian ska band so I didn't drink, I didn't have sex, I didn't do drugs, none of that, none of the fun high school, college stuff. Right. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe that's why I've been spared. Maybe God's like, all right, look, you you gave me those five years, I'm going to save you one last time, you can keep living. So maybe I got, maybe I have a little like money in the bank with him. Right. Um, so I don't know, I don't know what does it, guys, so don't take the chance because yeah. <laughs> it, it, I think more often than not, people probably die from it. Yeah. And, and that sucks. It It's like you talk about in the book, um, the Heath Ledger uh, overdose. Like, yeah. Come to find out, it probably wasn't intentional or anything. It was a bad combination yeah. of, of shit. And, you know, I think too often people don't maybe take into consideration, you know, like, oh, yeah, it says don't don't take with alcohol, but everything says that there's usually a reason that it says that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, I don't know if you've seen, um, have you, or read, um, is it I'll be gone in the dark? I think the Michelle McNamara's book, have you read it or did you see the documentary? I've seen the documentary. I haven't read the book. Okay. So yeah, I haven't read the book either. Um, but my wife and I watched the series on HBO and like, for those who don't know, this is like Patton Oswalt's wife who was writing a, a book about the, who was was it? The golden state killer. Is that what he was? I think so. Some serial killer in California. Um, and she got so into it and so obsessed with it that she, she was writing this book. And I started crying when I was watching it because I mean, she dies, she died while she was writing the book from the medication she was taking from like mixing Xanax and, um, you know, a bunch of other drugs. And in the documentary, they do a lot of, they read out a lot of her text messages to Patton Oswalt and like stuff she wrote about the drugs she was taking. And it's exactly like my book. Like she was taking Adderall the way I was taking Adderall. She was taking Xanax the way I was taking Xanax. She was taking Ambien to go to sleep the way I was. And she died. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, and I like, like I was watching it with my wife and I, I'm just like hiding in the corner of our couch, like crying, hoping she won't notice me because I'm thinking like, Jesus Christ, like 
she's doing exactly what I did and she died and I didn't. Right. You know, like, so you just, you just don't know. Um, it's scary, man. It's scary to think that. And like, if, if you're still alive to be listening to this, I hope like you'll consider that because so many cool things have happened that I, you know, never would have happened if I would have died. Like this book's out, but not only like do that, I've gotten to like hang out with AJ from the dangerous summer. He's a fan of the book. This guy who inspired me with his writing likes my writing, Yeah, you know? Um, and the guys from Bayside have been super supportive about it too. Um, so yeah, man, there's just so much potential for great things to happen in your life. And I mean, I hope that, you know, I can get that across too. It doesn't really come across in the book, although it does come across in the book because there's a lot of great things happening to me in the yeah. book. I'm just too fucked up <laughs> in my head to notice it. I'm just focusing on the bad things, but like, I still get to write about like in that book, there's still very cool things happening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I hope people can, can see that in it too. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I think one of the things for me, uh, before my dad passed away, you know, I, I've been in and out of like depressive states almost as long as I can remember. Um, but my dad told me something and the title of your book kind of reaffirmed or, or triggered it to some extent. Um, but my dad had told me before he had passed away, like at some point you're going to hit rock bottom and that's where you're going to build the foundation. So like, yeah, you're going to crash. You're going to crash and burn and it's going to hurt, but you can only build up from there. And I think, you know, rock bottom at the Renaissance is kind of that story too. Like I've hit rock bottom and now it's time to grow. No. And it is. Yeah. In that, no, that's awesome, man. That, um, I mean, that's great advice and it's so true because like, and, and applying it to this book, like that it, I mean, it fits perfectly because I really, I've known, or I felt for a long time since I finished this book that it was always going to be the foundation of anything that, of everything that happens next. Like, like Tyler Posey said, he would love to turn this into a TV show. And like, that's a huge thing. You know, if I can write it and if we can get it produced, that would be awesome. And this would be the foundation of that. But I've always, I've always believed that this book was good. I've always believed that, you know, it would resonate with, with people. And I, and part of the reason I haven't done anything big in a few, in a number of years, like on my own is because this book has just been like sitting there. And I knew that I had to get this out first before I do anything else. And so that's, that's exactly like, that's such a perfect thing to hear. Um, and I need to hear that because it's so hard to like get motivated to keep, because it's such hard work, all the rest of it and this, it's all hard work and it's so hard to do. So it's hard for me to get motivated only when I know that I'm motivating myself to just torture myself with hard work. Right. Oh, man. But it's true. I mean, like, I that's the only way that you build on that foundation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's everything I've got for you, man. Um, I, again, cool, man. really appreciate the, the time that you've taken with this. Um, so 
let's give people kind of the the classic outro. You've done enough band interviews and stuff, yeah. so uh, go ahead and let's let's plug everything. Where can people pick up the book? When's the audio book? You know, all that fun yeah. detail stuff for you. So. Yeah, so the book and ebook are available anywhere you get books. Amazon, um, if you don't mind, you know, giving Bezos more money. Uh, Amazon's the best because it keeps the book on the charts and the charts help with press and um, the charts help with getting this turned into a TV show one day. Um, so if you want to get it on Amazon, it's on Amazon everywhere in the world that Amazon sells books. As far as I know, uh, it's also on barnesandnoble.com. So if you want to get it there, uh, but anywhere you get eBooks, it exists, Apple books, Google play, whatever. Um, and then just for like others, uh, I still don't have a date on the audiobook because I'm licensing all the music. Right. Um, I have most of the music cleared except the Jimmy world songs. And, um, a death cab for cutie song, but those have all been like cleared by management. I'm just waiting for like last clearance from publishers and stuff. Right. So I'm confident that it's going to happen. Um, so that should be out in the next month or so. Uh, everything else you can follow me on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at a burger joint which is A-B-E-R-G-E-R-J-O-I-N-T. So it's just like a burger joint, but with E's, no right. U, B-E-R-G-E-R, like my last name. Um, so that's how you keep up with the book and stuff. And then uh, I'm just Mikey Lee Rock everywhere, M-I-K-E-Y-L-E-E-R-O-C-K. Uh, you can find me everywhere on that with that. Um, but that's about it. Um, yeah. yeah, a burger joint. Yeah, awesome. I'm definitely going to be promoting the hell out of it because A, I related to it a lot, but B, like I said at the beginning, Thanks, without without blowing any smoke or anything, I, I really think you hit something here with just relatability um, and a, a subject matter that is going to matter to people. You know, I think it's just getting it in the right hands. Thanks, man. No, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I've, like I said, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from it and and I mean, look, I've, I've also told people that like, you know, I, I, a while back people were writing like, Oh, as soon as I get my unemployment check, I'm going to buy this book. Like, I don't want anybody to do that. You know, if you, if you're going through this stuff, like hit me up on social media, I've got a few copies here at the house, um, that I don't mind sending out to people, uh, or I could send you an ebook, whatever. Um, half the, half the, uh, royalties from this book go to charity. So if you can't afford to buy the book, if you have a few bucks, please buy it because you're also helping out. Um, this month it's going to the continuance foundation, which provides mental health services to, uh, touring and, uh, studio musicians, um, and hope for the day. And then next month, um, royalties are going to like military mental health charities, uh, in honor of veterans day. So if you can afford to buy the book, please buy it. But if not hit me up on social media, like don't spend your unemployment checks or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just important for me to, that this book does get in people's hands, you know, does get in front of the people who need it. Um, that's the most important thing to me. Like I said, I have a day job. I make like three bucks off each book, so <laughs> it's not changing my world. Right. Um, so yeah. 
um, yeah, hit me up if you need to. And I'm going to throw it out there. Anybody that's made it this deep into the episode, um, I will <laughs> I will throw out five copies. I'll do five gift copies for anybody that hits me up and and asks for it. So we'll we'll do our part to support nice. it as well. Thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. All right, Mike. I think that's everything. So I appreciate cool. it your time, and um, I'm sure we'll be talking in the future. I've got some plans for potentially a second podcast um, outside of. It's still part of you make the scene, but next year I'm thinking about starting one that would be more based around strictly mental health and and things like that. And cool. if you're interested, I'd I'd love to have you on at some point. Always, dude. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Awesome. Well, we'll be in touch then, and uh, you know, looking forward to more people seeing this book and and being able to to take it in. Thanks a lot, man. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Right, see ya. See ya. And that was my conversation with Mike Hennenberger. Again, the book is called Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York City. Um, I highly recommend that you guys pick this book up. You know, it's something that again as i said at the beginning of the episode like we talked about throughout the episode it's something that i think you guys are going to relate to um it's something that especially if you're a fan of emo music um you know he he named some of the songs you've got songs by bayside dangerous summer um jimmy Eat world two-door cinema club like there are some awesome songs that he references in this book um, that maybe some people consider a B-side. Like I was saying, you know, some of them are, are kind of deep cuts for some people. For me, like the Bayside songs that some people may consider a deep cut wasn't a deep cut to me because I've been a Bayside fan for a long time, just like Mike. Um, but no, I think you guys need to definitely pick it up. It's super cool that he's, you know, donating a lot of the uh, proceeds to these different mental health organizations and just trying to give back as much as he can. Um, and if you've made it this far in the episode, you just heard me tell Mike that I was going to do this. So for five people that reach out to me on Instagram at you make the scene, follow me and send me a direct message and let me know that you want one of the books. We'll connect um, and I will hook you up. Um, so I will, you know, do what I got to do to get that organized for you, whether it's, you know, Amazon, whatever we do. But I will get you a copy of the book. Um, what I'm going to ask for you to do is to, again, follow me at You Make the Scene, send me a DM that just says something along the lines of, hey, I really want to check this book out, hashtag rock bottom at the Renaissance. So we're going to do the first part of the title. Um, definitely go check Mike's stuff out too. The, the dude's incredibly talented. Um, I'm going to have links to the social medias and stuff like we talked about. Um, but yeah, he, he's a super creative dude. Super talented dude. Highly recommend that you go check out his stuff. Uh, give him a follow. 
honestly, I'm I'm stoked for this. Like we talked at the end of the episode about possibly this turning into a TV show or a movie. I would love for that to happen. I'd love to be a part of it, if at all possible. Um, so, Mike, if you're re-listening to this, hit me up. You know, we'll be in touch. Uh, but no, like, in all honesty, guys, this is something that so many people are going to relate to. And so many people are going to be able to have some form of impact on their life and and gain something from it. And that's the important part. Um, and, you know, we're all about mental health here as well. Um, stoked that, that Mike's doing well. And like we said, you know, throughout the, the episode a little bit, a lot of people think that this is kind of the, the sad book or the sad song or whatever, but ultimately it's, it's really a positive thing. It's, it's a book that talks about this dude that was down and out and, you know, really, didn't know where he was going to go as he, he puts it himself, you know, and here he is, you know, however long later and triumphantly still carrying on. So, um, again, Mike's work and attention to detail and ability to portray the emotion is just really, really a stellar, stellar thing. So, again, five copies. This is the last time I'm saying it. Five copies I'm going to give away. Hit me up at you make the scene. Make sure you're following me. Send me a DM. Just say something along the lines of, hey, loved the podcast episode, would love to check out the book. Hashtag rock bottom at the renaissance. That's everything I've got for that part of the episode. Uh, let's talk real quick about You Make the Scene and some of the stuff we have coming up. So, we are almost to the one-year anniversary show. It's a super killer guest. I'm stoked that I was able to talk to this person. It's already been recorded, and you guys will see that in just two weeks. So, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, share all that fun stuff that helps me tremendously. And I appreciate all the support I've gotten on this journey over the last year. Check out you make the scene.com slash shop and pick up some merch. I'm working on getting some new designs up and things like that. Uh, but all of that helps me produce this podcast and, and do it for free and without sponsors or anything like that. So really appreciate any, support that you guys give me that way as well. And, you know, I think for this week, like, we're just going to, we're just going to end it. You know, I, I'm not going to play a song on the outro for this one. Um, although there are a number of awesome songs in this book, we're just going to, going to let it fly. So go follow Mike Give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and then anywhere you're getting your podcasts. We are now on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. So anywhere that you want to listen to your podcasts, we're probably on that app, that app for you somewhere. So check us out. 
uh, like, share, comment, review, all that sort of stuff would be super helpful. That helps with the analytics that bumps me up higher. It's a whole mess on the backside, but it really does go a long way, you guys. Um, and yeah, for this week, let's just have a good week. I'm excited to bring you next episode. I'm excited to bring you the one-year anniversary show. And remember, guys, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene. <laughs>